I think there's no better time to start investing than now. If you haven't started investing, get involved in something, even if it's something small, even if it's something as simple as going out there and buying, you know, uh, a one ounce silver coin that you can buy for about $25 right now and just start, start now, start investing, start getting educated. You don't have to know everything up front. Um, you know, tap into podcasts like this. There's tons of information out there. There's tons of education out there. Find somebody that's doing something that you want to get involved in and then ride their tailcoat. You don't have to have all the answers. If you've got an expert in, say, mobile home park investing, go see that guy and you want to just ride his tailcoat and then he can look over your deals or she can look over your deals and they can find the things that are the red flags to watch out for in your deal. You don't have to have all the answers. But the longer you wait the less that you are going to be able to increase your freedom and change these things radically in your life. So, you know, going out there and taking action um, is definitely the most important thing. Welcome to the Wealth Matters podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I have with me Mr. Bryce Robertson, your Australian real estate mate. How are you, Bryce? I'm very good. Thanks, mate. How are you doing? Good, man. Real estate investing entrepreneur, syndicator, educator, best-selling author, world traveler, and adventurer. Uh, Bryce, as I mentioned, is an Australian native with over 20 years experience in large commercial construction projects, real estate, and businesses. He has traveled to 60 countries. Oh my God. Over six continents, expanding wisdom and prosperity. Uh, through operating businesses in oh, five countries, over three continents, Bryce realized firsthand the abundant opportunity that exists here in the U.S. of A. And uh, I, I, I cannot disagree to that. You know, you and I, we migrated, right? I, I immigrated from India and this is land of opportunities. Of course, we are recording this during the election week. So, and we are still waiting to find the result. Mm -hmm. And I hope that, you know, either way, even if the result goes either way, this uh, is still stays true for about USA, that this is a land of opportunity. So mm -hmm. welcome again. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So um, I, I think we covered a lot in your bio, but tell us something interesting about yourself. There was already interesting that you have traveled 60 countries, six continents, but something we could, wouldn't be able to guess. You wouldn't be able to guess? Yeah. Something, uh, here's something you would never be able to guess. I actually, uh, I like surfing. And when I was traveling in Brazil, I came across a nudist beach and uh -oh. I actually thought, I'm just going to give it a shot. I'm just going to drop my board shorts and have a go at surfing naked. And I did it and it was a blast and I had a lot of fun. So that's something that probably nobody knows about me. That is interesting, man. <laughs> <laughs> so why did you choose to be in real estate? 
Well, you know, I, I was in, I was in the construction industry for about 17 years and I knew that I just wasn't passionate about what I was doing. And so we, my wife and I explored the three main ways to uh, make money and that is or become very wealthy. And that is owning a business, stock market and real estate. So in the beginning, we actually explored all three of those possibilities. And, you know, we had a little construction business. We're getting into multi-level marketing, learning about the stock market and real estate. And I was spinning plates. I was running from here to there trying to make it all work. I think I had about seven different side hustles going on at once because we wanted to explore it all and see what man, happens. Man, but- you, you, uh, I'm like you. I'm, I think I'm right behind you. I've been trying all of this, as you mentioned. And yeah. then I also go off. I have that shiny object syndrome, right? When you're okay. trying to you know, make money, you're always looking at all kinds of side hustles uh, as you know, possibly you can, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so like I, we made a decision. It was like, all right, I have to focus on one thing. And I knew it was real estate, heavy construction background. You know, my wife's actually got a background in mortgage and finance. So we knew real estate was the gig for us, but what were we going to do in real estate? So we looked at all the different profit and losses from different types of investments and different types of asset classes and mobile home parks really, really stood out to me. So I decided on mobile home parks for a whole bunch of different reasons. You know, they're recession resistant, yes. um, really strong on cash flow. I wanted something that was a, a specific niche that wasn't the same thing that everybody else was doing. And, uh, and I really wanted to solve that problem, which I believe is America's number one yes. real estate problem. And that's the need for affordable housing. Affordable housing. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I decided on that, got locked and loaded. And then once I got educated three months later, I had my first mobile home park. Um, and, you know, I was in an interesting circumstance because when I, when I put that first mobile home park on the contract, I actually had a negative net worth. I had $2,000 in the bank and I had unseasoned credit because I hadn't been in America long enough. Right. And, um, and, I, and I used the power of syndication to actually put that deal together and, and get it across the finish line. And once I you a deal like that was possible because that was literally my first real estate deal Mm -hmm. i think it was uh you know the purchase price was about five hundred and seventy dollars a thousand dollars and um was uh 40 space park in in california once i got that deal across the yeah in california once i got that deal across the finish line i was just I felt like I was 10 feet tall and made a steal. And I was like, if I can do that, I can do anything. And so I continued on that path of syndicating deals and doing larger and bigger, better deals. And, and it took me about two and a half years and I ended up becoming financially free and my wife and I retired ourselves. And then, you know, we headed off around the world traveling and, and um, you know, the rest is history. So that's awesome. So uh, three things I want to talk about out of those. So one Yes, I totally agree about mobile home park. And that's the bandwagon I am jumping on as well. So I moved from single family to small to large multifamily. And early last year, I found mobile home park. I studied as much as I can because I do take action right away. So this time I wanted to take my time. And Mm -hmm. my group just closed on our first mobile home park in August. So three months ago. Yeah, I think to this day, thank you so much. And I am looking at mobile home parks like crazy right now. I've been Mm -hmm. putting offers. So I totally agree. And living in California, I attest to the fact that we do need affordable housing. There is no doubt about that. Uh, Second, uh, when was this deal? Uh, What year did you do this first mobile home park? 
That was in 2015. Oh, okay. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah. And the third question is uh, where in California and would you uh, still buy in California? Um, so I'm open to the possibility of still buying in California. There's a few challenges I see there. I know that there's the rent control restrictions yeah. that have that have come in recently. I'm not super excited about that. So if my play was to massively increase the rents, which which can happen sometimes if we right. buy something that's really undervalued, then that could take me out of the deal because that controls in place there. Um, you know, there's a few other things that don't excite me greatly about um, investing in California, but. <laughs> But, I mean, so this deal that I bought, it was in Ridgecrest, California. Oh, yeah, I know Ridgecrest very well. I just sold my nine-unit apartment building there. Beautiful. Well, there you <laughs> go. Man. You know Mobile the home parks, Rich, I know Ridgecrest really well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a fantastic deal. It worked out really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had it for, I think we had it for like 4.3 years or something. Uh -huh. Our investors, they wanted to make 12% annual returns on right. if you if you you know divvy out the annual returns. IRR we, annualized. Yeah, we ended up being able to provide um it was it was either fifty six point seven or fifty seven point six percent returns to awesome. our investors on that one. Because we we just knocked it out of the park. We bought it at a twelve cap, we sold it at a really low um, cap and we we'd increased rents yeah. and filled up occupancies. We really knocked that one out of the park. And the interesting about that one though was Ridgecrest. That was where the big earthquake was. Um, yes. It was last year. Just last I year. Was, I was out there literally um I, I went to the park one day i came back and then the earthquake happened and i was out there because i was making sure the park was in good condition to prepare it to be able to list it so we could sell right it. and uh and then the earthquakes happened and i'm like are you kidding me we right just had, like, I, I know uh, my heart gasped as well i remember that day <laughs> yeah yeah and you know fortunately we had done things right we had all of our seismic uh down for the way that we strapped uh, down our homes okay. and everything was good we didn't have any problems we had one home that shifted a couple of inches right. we had to get it moved back over but um the, the next door neighbors they didn't go so well though there was a park oh. next door and i think they lost about a third of their homes wow. they actually just they literally tipped off the foundation because they didn't That's have them tied it. down yeah. properly wow so, but yeah, we ended up selling it and, um, and the, the whole earthquake thing, surprisingly, wasn't that big of a deal to the people buying it. You yeah, know, I just, yeah. I, I just thought that would take a lot of people out, you know? Actually, it happened to us as well. So we listed it last year, the nine unit apartment building. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had someone under contract and the earthquake thing happens and the guy backed out. Mm. And then, of course, there were a lot of nervousness in the market. So we took it off the market and we listed it again earlier this year. But yeah, mm. we, uh, we lost about 30, 40 grand on that deal. Not, not lost, lost, but we would have profited 30, 40 grand more than what we profited, you know, if we would have closed last year. But that earthquake thing, you know, you never know. Or maybe we should have kept it in the market <laughs> at that time. Yeah. <laughs> So was that your first deal? That was my first deal. Oh, yes. that's awesome, man. Yeah. So let's talk about the book because that's how I was, uh, you know, I'm always looking to read real estate books uh, and um, want to get inspired. So saw your book, 10,000 Miles to the American Dream, Our Story of Financial Freedom. 
how did you got that idea to write that book and why did you write the book? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's a group of us that wrote that book and we're called the real estate mates. And what we, it was, it actually started off with one of the authors, um, Reed Goosens and yes. he, um, he has a podcast and he, it's he's all awesome. About, yeah. Yeah. And he's all about, you know, teaching people how to invest in the U S and then, you know, there was a bunch of different Aussies that ended up on his podcast and we'd all had a similar story of coming from Australia, um, you know, maybe doing a bit of travel and then coming to the United States and getting involved in real estate, becoming financially free. And, and so he just said, Hey, how about we all just like jump on a call once a month and we'll just exchange ideas, maybe do some deals together. And those calls went really, really well. We all hit it off really well and we said hey how about we meet up so we met up down in san diego and uh when we met up in person we just all were so passionate about the opportunity that exists in the u.s to invest in real estate compared to other countries and compared to all the other places that we've been because the entry level here is just so low right. for example you know you want to buy a house in australia you have to put 20 percent down Whereas yes. over here, I mean, we can go 3% down, oh, yeah, um, yeah. 5% down, there's seller financing, there's all these yeah, different Yeah, you got options. VA loans, FHA loans, you have yeah. hard money, private money, all, all kinds of things. And you can, you know, combine those all together and yeah. pay almost nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Alpesh, you have, I'm sure, this same experience that you've had an experience of living somewhere else. You come to the United States and you're like, you see the opportunity yes. knowing that that opportunity doesn't exist in other countries. Absolutely. And, and so when, when you or I come here, we've just like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm going to take advantage of this. And so one of the reasons that we wrote the book is because we wanted to wake up a lot of Americans and just say, hey guys, literally in your backyard, you have yeah. one of the world's best opportunities. Right. Take advantage of it. Yeah. And change your life and live free. And, yeah, that, and that's really if what we can do it, about. you can do it too, right? That's what I yeah. tell everyone that if an immigrant with no money in the pocket yeah. can come here and, and make it, then you should be able to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Oh, that, that's great. Can you expand upon some of the strategies you use to fund and find real estate deals? Or, my, I mean, find and fund real estate deals? How do you find, uh, you know, uh, niche real estate deals? And then how do you end up funding them? Sure. So, you know, finding deals, you know, I started off just, you know, hitting the ground, I'd looking online, um, mailers, cold calling, you know, driving through mobile home parks, just basically any way I could think of actually finding a mobile home park. And then interestingly, as time has progressed, you know, I became financially free. And then I thought, hey, I really want to share this with people. So now, you know, I teach people how to invest in mobile home parks. I've got a home study course, which I usually teach live, but I'm obviously not teaching it live right not now. Anymore. It's the, uh, the A to Z of MHP's uh, financial freedom through mobile home park investing. But yeah, I, I, I started teaching. And then once I started teaching people how to invest in mobile home parks, naturally people said, hey, I want to I help find mobile home parks for you. So now instead of me going out there and looking for deals, most of my leads come from students or, oh, okay. or people that want to sort of bring deals my way. 
So that's kind of the lead generation side of things. And then as far as putting deals together, you know, mobile home parks is a really interesting space. We are typically buying off moms and pops who have been, um, they've been in the park for maybe 20, 30, 30 years. years. They're not <laughs> business professionals. They don't have any um, records. <laughs> no, they don't have any records. And, and, and there's an opportunity there because they haven't been running it like a smooth old uh, machine. And we come in and, and do that. But exactly. also in there, they have a lot of these mums and pops have a, a different set of circumstances and a lot more negotiable terms that we can throw in there. Yeah. For example, seller financing. Um, I mean, it's yeah. so common to just say to a mum and pop seller that, hey, you're about to make, you know, X amount in profits from the sale here. Um, I mean, what are you guys going to do with that? I mean, are you cool with, with paying the massive capital gains taxes that you're going to have to pay on that? Or would you be interested in maybe carrying some financing on this or doing some kind of installment sale? So that's a, that's a way for us to like structure a deal where instead of them actually paying one big chunk and uh, getting paid in one big chunk and paying, you know, at 35% taxes or whatever, they can get paid in smaller chunks over time. And then they don't have to pay as much taxes. And then we uh, get to structure the deal differently and it works out advantageous for us too. So it's like a win-win situation. So that's one way that we kind of structure deals, but, uh, but we also uh, like to bring in investors in our deal. And so we use the power of syndication. And, um, you know, basically we open up a large portion of our investments to what we call limited partners or LPs, and they invest in one side of the deal. Uh, they don't have to worry about any of the heavy lifting or any of the hard work. They're trusting and they have faith in us that we know what we're doing and we're the operators. And, uh, and then, you know, we have a, a small chunk in the deal for ourselves for sort of putting it together and managing it and driving through the business plan. That's, that's awesome. So yes, uh, this is how I find my deals as well. So yes, yeah, I, I understand how it works because we did the first part. I just acquired same thing, seller financing, right? Mm -hmm. Even though the seller had records, you know, I'm like, you have a lot of park owned homes. I can't get financing for a park, mm -hmm. which is only half a million, right? So uh, the seller financing worked out, but I was looking at another off, uh, you know, uh, offering memorandum. And then I spoke with the seller and he's like, I just get cash. I don't have any records whatsoever. I'm <laughs> like, wow. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I totally understand how, you know, mobile home park deals work. About finding the deal, you said some came, comes from the students. So do you only focus on off market or do you also, uh, you know, work with some real brokers uh, to, uh, you know, go through the deals, et cetera? Yeah, we prefer off-market deals. There's just a lot more room to negotiate. Right. And usually on the off-market deals, it's just us directly working with the sellers. There's nobody yeah. else involved. There's no other, you know, not like multiple offer scenarios, whatnot. That's not necessarily the case when we work with a broker. Sometimes there'll be one or two other people that are also looking right. at the park and putting in offers. Um, we prefer much better to work with uh, off-market listings, but you know, at the same time, there's some, still some good deals out there with brokers. So you know, we look at everything, and if it's a good deal, it's a good deal. Uh, we're open to deals nationwide. I like to buy parks that are around about the 200 space sort okay. of um, area. That way, it, it literally doesn't matter if it's on the other side of the country. It's large enough to be able to squeeze in a few plane flights out there. Um, have someone from our team go out there and check up on things. A few times throughout the year 
And um, what I've found, you know, from my experience of managing from afar is that there's no problem that shows up that actually can't be resolved um, while you're not there. Um, I mean, I've had things like gas systems completely fail in the middle of winter and people are out of hot water and ways to heat their food and have showers. Um, I've, I've had you know, a whole laundry list of all the things that could go wrong, go wrong. And never once have I ever had to be in a position where I have to immediately like fly out and solve a problem. Right. I mean, we've got third party verifications with everybody's got a video camera in their pocket. Um, and then also, you know, when you think about it, if you have a 200 space park, on average, you're going to have about 500 people that live there. Right. When 500 people are living somewhere, you find out about every single thing that's going on there. Like yes. Nothing slips through the cracks because people always talk. So, yes, yes. That's yeah. true. So uh, some of the great points, which markets do you focus on right now? Or it's all mm. over the US. Or do you have certain preferred markets? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do have preferred markets. And again, if the deal makes sense, I'm open to wherever it is nationwide. And that's usually the way that we look at deals with mobile home park space. Um, I'll quickly look at the market. Does the market meet my criteria? Yes, there's enough people. Um, there's a big enough infrastructure there. I, it, it, there's a need for affordable housing. So yes, that's a good market. And then I'll look at the park and say, all right, does it have the criteria that I'm looking for? And, um, and then it could potentially be a deal. I do actually prefer uh, the Midwest is a really good place for mobile home parks. I still believe that that's the place where we can find some of the best deals at some of the best cap rates. Um, there's still yes. a lot of room for improvement. There's one caveat that comes with owning, owning parks in the Midwest, and that's we have to deal with the cold weather. weather. So yes. we, have, we have to be able to winterize our homes and prepare ourselves for you know, underground water leaks and frozen ground and things like that that can happen. Um, but you know, once you get through that, it's, it's totally fine. And so we really like the Midwest. We also like the Southeast as yeah. well. Um, the Southeast is a, it's a good region, good weather. That's where I'm focused on. Yeah. Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi to North Carolina yep. and Florida. Sure. So, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's certain little things with each area, you know, like the Midwest is generally pretty okay. Um, you know, another concern that I have with California is, um, is earthquakes. And so we know about that, yes. but then, you know, there's some other areas that have tornadoes and hurricanes. Yes. And so try and stay away from some of the coastal places in the Southeast. But apart from that, the Southeast is pretty solid. And then also uh, an area that we call the Sun Belt, which is kind of Texas yes. and, and uh, Oklahoma and Kansas and, and all of that through there is, is a pretty good area. Yeah, too. Sun Belt is great. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, really, look, if a good deal comes up in California, if a good deal comes up in New York or Rhode Island or whatever, like we're down. So, Got it. And how do you manage these parks? Do you uh, work with third party management company or have you, uh, do you hire uh, people to manage the parks? Yeah, that's a great question. So with mobile home parks, we do our own in-house management. We do that um, by our own affiliate company, that property management company that we have. And the reason we do that is one, when we manage our properties, no one is going to do as good a job as we're going to do. We right. are definitely going to see through our business plan. And if any challenges pop up, we are going to do anything we need to do to get over those challenges. And plus, we've already, we've already mitigated those challenges with proper due diligence up front. So really, there's no surprises that show up. It's really just, okay, that was one of the things we calculated for. Let's go. We've already got a plan for that. Let's, let's deal with it. Um, the other thing is, is that if you have an apartment 
and say there's 200 apartments and it's, a, it's an apartment complex. They have third party managers because I mean, apartments are probably renting for say a thousand dollars a month. That's right. $200,000 a month. And then if you have a certain percentage, say they're making, you know, three, yeah, four, five, six percent, yeah. right. Then off that, off $200,000, that's not too bad. Right. Right. But with mobile home parks, we're in the affordable housing space yes. <laughs> and our average lot rents are around about 300 and they're okay. pushing up to about 320. So it's really not that much money to be made for a mobile right. home park uh, management company. And so then we're going to think about if we're going to pay that small amount, are we really going to get the type of company that's going to give it the care and attention that it needs? And so unless we have like a 300 space park or above, then we wouldn't even really consider it. Yeah. Um, you know, once you have a park that, that that's big, then you can think about having a third party property management company, but we keep it all in house and uh, everything runs very smooth that way. And again, no one's going to give it as much care and attention as we do. So as soon as the challenge pops up, bang, we, we overcome it. I so agree about that. And I am, I have my own property manager right now, uh, but I also am using a third party asset manager to manage the asset because it's my first spark. But at what point uh, did you decide that, okay, we need to have a property management company or did you have the property management company in mind as soon as you acquired your first park? Yeah, absolutely. I was ready to roll. Um, I, I knew that that was something that I was going to implement straight away. I already had my documentation and systems and everything in place. I was ready to go. So, okay. yeah. No, that's awesome. And, 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 and I have parks where I probably could have third-party management, but we just prefer to keep it all in-house. Oh, yeah. Once you have vertically uh, integrated businesses, why not, right? Why would you even go with the third-party? <laughs> Yeah. And we do the same thing with the construction side too. It's like, sometimes we, we sub that out to third party vendors yes. and sometimes we do that in-house with our own crews. Got it. Hey, can you talk about your best deal so far? Um, you know, I, I have to go back to the first deal. Oh, and, okay. and the reason the first deal was the best deal was because, I mean, let's, let's resonate on those circumstances again. I had a negative net worth. Right. I had $2,000 in the bank, unseasoned credits, and I put together a $570,000 deal. And, you know, fast forward, it ended up being very profitable for everybody involved. And, you know, I learned so much about that deal. Um, I learned so much in the process of putting it together and syndicating the deal and, you know, the management and all the challenges that popped up. So that, you know, and, and you can probably agree that, you know, right. some of your first deals are some of the strongest, most powerful deals that we've done. So really great learning lesson. Um, I learned a ton and really, really enjoyed that deal. That's awesome. What was your worst deal so far and what did you learn from it? I don't, I honestly don't think uh, that we can do a deal that we would call a bad deal because I believe every experience we have is something that's meant to happen. Um, right. I, I think that the deals that have been the worst deals, I have been fortunate enough to not go through with those deals, but I've learned a lot on them. Um, and most of those deals came down to uh, me potentially partnering with people and then deciding uh, close before we ended up actually taking on the deal that, you know what, this partnership, I don't believe that it's going to be what it needs to be. And then, um, you know, not going through with the deal. So I think that the worst deals I've done have been the ones that I, I chose not to do. 
Um, but again, I still don't think that uh, I've done any bad deals or even those experiences that happened. I don't believe they were bad experiences. I learned a lot from them. And, uh, you know, it helps me become a better investor, a better operator, a better partner moving forward. Well, that's great. Thank you so much, Bryce. Let's take a quick break. Okay. You're listening to the Wealth Matters Podcast. The Wealth Matters Podcast. For more info about what we do, check us out at wealthmatters.com. It's wealth, W-E-A-L-T-H, matters, M-A-T-R-S, dot com. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. Bryce, are you ready for fire round? I'm, let's go. I'm fired up. Let's go. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy after coronavirus? No. And, and, and because of that, really, you know, we came into all of this with recession resistant type investments. And so it's, that's been the game since day one. Um, so nothing really has changed. Uh, maybe we're changing our aspect on um, a little bit on financing. You know, we're really looking for seller financing deals right now, which are mm -hmm. a few of those are panning out quite well. Um, you know, a little bit apprehensive moving forward with some things in the real estate sector because there's some unknowns like yes. what's going to what's going to happen with property taxes you know <laughs> and who's going to be increasing those first and how yeah. much they're going to increase right. them what's happening with capital gains taxes <laughs> yeah and so so there's different things like that um that we're taking into consideration but still you know we we underwrite very conservatively with tons of wiggle room in the deal so holistically, not really changing things too much, just fine tuning with, with all of the things as they unfold. And they will. For the next couple of years, we're expecting tons more of these challenges and tons more new things to, um, to deal with. And we're just going to navigate our way through it as, as it unfolds. That's awesome. Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book? Don't give names of my book or your or your book. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I go back to this one. It's uh, T. Harvecker's Secrets of a Millionaire Mind. Um, yes, that, oh, that's that a great book, book. Yeah, that book literally changed my life. It, it, I reprogrammed my financial mindset. Then I ended up moving on and I worked with T. Harvecker for about two years. Oh. Um, and, then, and then blessed to actually have T. Harvecker endorse our book, you know, once we come full circle. Wow. But okay. Yeah. So super stoked on that one. But that's, that's an amazing book. It literally changed our lives. And, you know, so many people I come across that read that book, that was one of the catalysts that really shifted them towards freedom in their life. No, oh, that's a great book. Thank you for the recommendation. Any tool or website you recommend? Uh, maybe it's for mobile home park. Maybe it's building the network or, or anything else. Yeah, <laughs> I, I a website that I use all the time is bestplaces.net. Oh, yes. I just, <laughs> I, just, I just really find that a great, well-organized resource to quickly yes. uh, find out statistics in a market. And I, I use that every single time I'm evaluating a mobile home park or quickly go to bestplaces.net. And within about 30 seconds, I know if that market is going to be good for a mobile home park or not. That's, I use it every day. So I know what you are yeah. talking about. When I was doing apartment investiga uh, investment, it was city-data.com. Yeah, and city then data. for mobile home park, I realized everyone is using bestplaces.net. And it's, it has pretty much similar information as city data. I think city data is more information, but bestplaces.net has the information laid out so well 
that yeah. any anyone can just go in and figure out everything. <laughs> yeah, it's better organized and it literally has like all the information we need yes. on that first little section there. And the, and the other thing is, is that lenders, when we're getting financing from Mobile Home Park, that's what they use. That's what oh, they really? get oh, okay. from. So if we're looking at bestplaces.net and this city is not in the major metro that we thought it was in, then the lender's going to look at that and that's, they're going to have the same opinion. So right. if it actually says it on, on bestplaces.net and it says, hey, this little town that's actually three hours away from this big city is yeah. in that metropolitan area, then you can piggyback that and, and it works out well. So. Right. And, and that's a great point you mentioned because I, I just said no to a couple of deals where the OM said, oh, it's part of this MSA. I go to bestplaces.net uh, and it's not part of the Biloxi Gulfport MSA. It's like 70 miles away. And I said, yeah. no, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> so mm-hmm. great point. Any advice for beginner investors? I think there's no better time to start investing than now. If you haven't started investing, get involved in something, even if it's something small, even if it's something as simple as going out there and buying, you know, a one ounce silver coin that you can buy for about $25 right now and just start, start now, start investing, start getting educated. You don't have to know everything up front. Um, you know, tap into podcasts like this. There's tons of information out there. There's tons of education out there. Find somebody that's doing something that you want to get involved in and then ride their tailcoat. You don't have to have all the answers. If you've got an expert in say mobile home park investing, go see that guy and you want to just ride his tailcoat and then he can look over your deals or she can look over your deals and they can find the things that are the red flags to watch out for in your deal. You don't have to have all the answers, but the longer you wait, the less that you are going to be able to increase your freedom and change these things radically in your life. So, you know, going out there and taking action um, is definitely the most important thing. Got it. How do you give back? How do I give back? Well, you know, we give back by writing the book, uh, 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. That was one way of giving back. Another way I give back is by teaching people how to invest in mobile home parks. I do this through the A to Z of MHPs, everything you need to know about uh, mobile home park investing. Uh, I also have a podcast, a video podcast called Freedom Hack Radio, where we explore the freedom trinity of financial time and location freedom. And we learn how to live in fulfillment by growing and expanding and maintaining balance in financial wealth, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun. And, you know, once I lived a true life of financial time and location freedom, my life radically changed so much. I just had to share this with the rest of the world. And I know that there's so many other people that have a desire to live that kind of life, but they either don't know it's possible or they don't know how to get there. And so, you know, the way I give back is by educating people and lifting people up. And, you know, I I do that when I'm out, even if I'm out at the pub and someone starts talking about wanting to make improvements in their life, I'll just see how I can help people and help lift people up so that we can all live free. Because I do not believe that we were born to wake up early in the morning, go to the grind, slave away at a job so that we come home, pay our mortgage, 
pay for a bit of food, have a little bit of money left over, and then boom, just do that for like 40, yeah. 50 years. That is not the way we're meant to live. I truly believe everybody deserves to live free. We all downright bloody deserve it. And uh, I'm committed to helping people have that experience. That's awesome. How can my listeners reach out to you? Um, one of the best ways to reach out would be uh, Bryce at realestatemates.com. You can also email me at Bryce at propertyworksusa.com. Uh, works actually ends with a Z or a Z, depending on how you pronounce it <laughs> over the world. Um, and yeah, just shoot me an email. That's the best way to, to keep in touch. And I'll put those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Bryce. I enjoyed our conversation, man. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.